would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. All right, we are going live. Well, not live. We're not streaming. We're not those kind of podcasters. This is the Week in Review, and I am your host, Travis William Skink Matier. And joining me is Ali. Hi. Hello, Ali. Thank you for entering the studio and joining this uh, early morning conversation. It's not so early on this June third Saturday morning, but. It's early enough that there are things today that we're both going to be doing. So we want to have a, a good conversation for the time that we have in this like 40 minute chunk. Yes. And I hope we can keep people awake because we're going to be possibly reading about emergency ordinances and city council drama. Do you think that's going to be something that people can stay awake for? I think they're pretty awake right now. I, you know what? I think actually that's true. It's if. The responses that we are hearing about from city council members are accurate, and I do believe in this case they are, since it seems like a begrudging acknowledgement of reality from almost every single member of city council that they are hearing from their constituents in every ward, and they are hearing from people that they don't normally hear from. So, for example, when city council hears from me making public comment, I make a lot of public comments. It's probably a bit easier to just consider that more the Travis noise in the background. But when the things that I'm saying are now resulting in people coming out of the woodworks, not just to, to make complaints and, and to air their concerns, but we have people coming out of the woodworks to camp, urban camping in very, in a lot of spots across the, the Missoula Valley. So uh, you and I have gone out there and, and checked some things out just recently on Friday. There's a lot for us to discuss, so I think we should just maybe hop into it. But the, anything that you want to talk about specifically before we get into some of the language of the ordinance and stuff like that? I think it will be a very interesting meeting on Monday night. Sounds like mm. there's quite a bit of already anticipated community participation, which is really great. Yeah, some of that community participation includes the head of Rogers International, the private security firm that had a contract with the city to provide security at the authorized camping site. That camping site was closed because of an inability to properly manage it. One of the things, I'm not sure what I'm going to say on Monday, but um, one of the things I might say is that before money is directed at this problem, and it's going to be federal money will be talked about since the Biden administration has targeted six cities and or states to really bring some federal assistance. If the conversation is about money, I would like to know if maybe through a funded study, what went wrong with the authorized camping site. I would like to know <clears throat> truly what kind of data is being generated by the coordinated entry system. 
Um, our, I know a lot of our smart, smart city council folks, uh, I use that F word, uh, a lot of the city council people, um, they like studies, they like data, they like science. And so if that is something that holds true for this topic, this issue, then let's get into some details because part of my shift in thinking of private security even yeah. is because the authorized camping site was a problem identified early on by David Pritchard, who uh, is the head of um, Rogers International. And some of the things that he warned about turned out to be true. And I really appreciate people that deal with this thing called reality on the ground and that can try and adapt to reality as it changes. And so my shift, <clears throat> although one of my longtime commenters at the Zoomcron blog, J. Kevin Hunt, he's not a big fan of my shift in thinking with private security. Um, but part of what I might try and talk about on Monday is the idea of triage and the idea of you can't get everything you want. Why not? Well, one example, the Fox Theater site, there's a new group of developers looking to possibly bring that long-held vision of a convention center to downtown Missoula. Tax increment financing continues to be shoveled out left and right. It might be a time to, in terms of prioritizing, something I agree with Daniel Carlino when he brings it up at City Council, the priorities, and to look at the financial budget priorities. Agreed. Um, so part of the conversation might need to be, hey, guys, you can't get everything you want. You can't. Like, this is wow. something that kids have to be told. And so the children these days, they want it all in terms of screen time. They can't get all the stuff they want. I think why are you smiling, Allie? Why, why are you smiling over there? I what? believe in baking a bigger pie. I, I just, I do. It, that I, sounds I, commun. You're not I, a communist. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not. I just believe in increase. And so I... I can't, I can't help it. I can't think limited because I feel like that's extremely stifling. So, so triage Even, is limited or is it a limited way I, of thinking? I, I don't, yes. I don't believe necessarily in triage. I understand. So, so because here's the thing, if you, and, and this applies to government, it applies to one's personal finances or whatever. If you think that it is just a finite pie and you have to slice a piece and everybody gets a piece and then some people get bigger pieces and some people get smaller, then guess what? People will fight over the pie. And okay, I that, see what you're saying. That is not a good, in my opinion, that's not a really good uh, way of looking at it. I believe that wealth can be um, generated by a lot of different sources and we have to be creative in some of these solutions. So just as a paradigm, I just want to throw that out there that there is such thing as increase. And if we haven't seen it, it's because we can be more creative. Okay. So Brandon Smith, his increase idea to go along with your, your idea of a bigger pie would be, Hey, asylums weren't such a bad thing. Let's maybe do the asylum thing a little bit better, but hey, bring back asylums. And it's actually interesting because as you were talking, I brought this article up. I found this at the Zero Hedge Aggregate website. How to solve violence in the US, remove Democrat-run cities and bring back asylums. <laughs> it's actually scarily based on data. It's based on data over the past 100 years. And so when asylums went away, um, right. you know, the there's- eighties. Even going back to the 1900s, and so let me let me take a look here lower down. Um, 
One issue, okay, I'm gonna read from this. What, I'm gonna read from this here. Let's see if this tracks. Um, one issue that is immediately noticeable, and this is b based on the graphs that are on, at this website, and so I'll try and include a link in the article that we'll put out on this. Okay, one issue that is immediately noticeable <clears throat> is that prison numbers spiked massively starting in the mid-1980s, after which homicide rates began to plunge. Also note that less incarceration in the early 1900s coincides with much higher murder rates across the nation. But what about that dip in murders from the 1930s to the 1960s? What caused that? Well, it's not necessarily an economic problem, as many progressives might suggest. The country was hitting peak prosperity in the 1920s, and murder rates were still sky high. On the opposite end, the system was still in depression turmoil in the 1930s to 40s, but homicide rates plunged. So what caused violent crime to fall in that era? The only factor that seems to coincide with this period of relative peace is the sudden increase in psychiatric incarceration from around the 1930s onward. So Brandon Smith goes on to acknowledge that that um, psychiatric incarceration was a horror show, yeah. uh, a wide net cast and catching people that might be truly psychotics with no human empathy capacity. Sure. Or some people that were just inconvenient for the power structure and you can put them away in asylums. Unfortunately, the numbers tend to back up what Smith is saying here, and that's an interesting point since data and information really does help to like figure out what the problem is. And if you don't know what the problem is, solutions are going to be shit. So on the on the line of thinking in terms of Jordan Hess and his solutions being shit, let me let me talk a little bit about Hess and shit solutions. So Hess wants to say yes to more shelter beds. Okay. It's pretty obvious that more shelter beds would mean more opportunities for people to not be urban camping. So when Hess is saying yes to more shelter beds, it's very important for people to think that what Hess needs to say yes to is more staff, more well-trained staff, and that means more well-paid, well-trained staff. Uh, it means security. It means like a whole host of things. It also means a conversation on where are those shelter beds going to go. For someone like me, who's worked at the Pavarella Center from 2008 to 2016, that was during the period that Missoula and the downtown business leadership, they ensured that the new Pavarella Center would not be downtown. <clears throat> so back then, <clears throat> excuse me, right? back then the only major important part of that conversation was where the shelter was not going to be. And the downtown leadership, they made sure downtown would not have the new Pavarella Center. I remember part of my conversation at the time was like, okay, well, the chronic shelter-resistant people will still be downtown causing yes. downtown problems. That did happen. It continued to happen. But West Broadway then became right. a hotspot for a new era. And West Broadway is an intro to downtown. Exactly. Um, and part of that conversation back then was we wanted the clients to make sure that they had access to services, which were oftentimes located downtown. Not necessarily true. A lot of the Palmer Street, uh, Palmer Street on the going the other direction, so going west on Broadway. That's where a lot of services are. You have it. it what you have now is is a serious, serious problem um, in that neighborhood specifically. But you have a problem that in the region has been exacerbated by the Ninth Circuit Court decision. And so, yes, one of the things, and I know this is where you can definitely bring some insight, Ali. But one of the things that's interesting, I've heard. Solutions in Texas can happen in Texas, but not in Missoula because you Texas. Mean Phoenix? Or well, it's Phoenix under the Ninth Circuit. Phoenix is a different court ruling. We might get to that. Okay, 
Um, but this is the mantra, or has been, that there are a whole host of things that can't be done. But this emergency ordinance we're going to get into identifies things that can be addressed, like health issues, crimes should still be able to be addressed. Sure. So going back to what you were saying about Mayor Hess and the Ninth Circuit decision. The yes, Hess, the, the yes Hessinator? Well, yes. And so... First of all, shout out to the people in government. Thank you for your incredibly difficult task. You always task. have way too much more I, sympathy for, for these people than I do. But I do. I know. And plus, they're steering the ship that we are Toward on. the rocks? The, I mean, no. w w once so, you hit rocks, can you actually no. be steering the ship? Once you're, I, once you're what, in a, what like what a crash situation? It's uh, in our best interest that they succeed, ultimately. Okay. Because we succeed if they do. Because we're on that so, sinking ship. Well, we're, it's not sinking yet, so we're still on the ship. My goodness. Did you take optimism pills this morning? No, I just okay. it's deeply embedded in my heart. Um, it's So here's the thing, and I maybe I'm looking at this differently or creatively or something, but when Mayor Hess talks about the shelter bed requirement that you know each person has the ability if they needed to to be in a shelter bed to me that opens up the ability to enforce what people are talking about right that, that they're is, concerned about yep so does that mean that everybody who is suppose they're choosing to be urban camping does right. that mean they have to go to a shelter bed no but it sure allows the opportunity to enforce them not camping in certain areas so it's not, I don't, I mean, from my read of what's going on, it's not like we want five, you know, condemned motels to be like the place where everybody can go because realistically that's not going to happen. But what having the, those spaces available could mean is a greater opportunity for enforcement. So one of the reasons why data can really help with this conversation is because there are ebbs and flows in the homeless population. There are longer trends than just the pandemic. And that data would really help us understand what uh, what's going on and what has been going on. So one of my frustrations is in the reporting <clears throat> and in the conversations about the, the winter shelter. So we were in Montana. We have seasonal ebbs and flows, and part of that's based around cold weather. The conversation about why we even have the Johnson Street Shelter has been very inaccurate because they start like year 2020 is year zero. Um, unfortunately, I have this thing called a memory and then actual evidence from my blog that goes back before 2020 that says the numbers of homeless were going up and up and up. They had been consistently. The coordinated entry system, uh, there's so many challenges with that, but that's a HUD-required portal into homeless services for people to be assessed. Um, I recently checked out the map questions. So the map is they've since outsourced the VI SPDAT, which was the previous assessment tool. So the VI SPDAT was a real fun acronym to say. Um, I ended up saying it sort of with like, like spitting because of the anger, like VI yeah. SPDAT. Ah, that I can get spedatted. I could feel that. Yeah, totally. But now they have the MAP, which does not stand for Minor Attracted Persons. It I, stands for something else. You stole that right out of my... <laughs> well, their MAP uh, asks a bunch of questions about emergency, and it's kind of like an emergency assessment tool. So they're trying to assess on a very basic level how to steer a person into different housing interventions. What ultimately needs to happen for trust to be rebuilt in this community is this idea of how are we filtering the actual people that are risks that need to be incarcerated. So someone like 
Uh, Todd Spence, the non-compliant sex offender who assaulted two MDT staff last September during a volunteer cleanup and got one misdemeanor assault charge. We need to better understand what's going on within the criminal justice system. We also need maybe like a current picture of what the treatment beds are in Montana. So inpatient treatment, if you want to talk about drug addiction and intervention, you actually need more than just a 30-day stint. I mean, we, we actually are talking sure. about at least six months with then ongoing support services, but we don't have that in Montana. We have right. barely anything like Recovery Center in Missoula, uh, MCDC in Butte, and then Rimrock in, in Billings are the main three facilities I know of for inpatient treatment. Maybe that's increased since my time working at the shelter, but I would give the old pitch, hey, you know, a million people in Montana, you can estimate around 10% in active addiction. So let's say we have 100,000 people in active addiction in Montana. And if we have just a couple hundred beds for inpatient treatment, yeah, tell me how those numbers work. Especially, especially with Gianforte vetoing line item stuff. Like our legislator legislative session was so embarrassing. And like, if you don't get away <clears throat> with a D or an R, from this session like everyone should be ashamed yeah. of what didn't actually get accomplished with a billion and a half surplus yeah i property tax rebates that, that that's about it like what else happened i think it comes down to what daniel carlino says about budgeting priorities and that goes to the state and it goes to the city and we did i feel like what could what could have that surplus been used for if you think about it you need mental, you, you need for, to build <laughs> um a warm springs in every major city some kind of actual safe inpatient facility we actually yeah. need to get more serious about the the older people with alzheimers sure uh, and co-occurring substance abuse issues because a lot of the addicts that are young addicts they don't always die young um, like the person that died in the bathroom in Qantas Park on Thursday night that I took a picture of and reported on. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's a good question what we could have done. We did virtually nothing substantive. Uh, whatever yeah. tax rebate, whatever tax rebate people, people got from yeah. that shit show is going to be obliterated in June when they realize that there's an average 37% increase in property taxes coming. Sure. That is going to create some, yeah. some people that are going to be upset. It, it it's pretty crazy. Hey, I know. I'm going to invest in pitchforks, and I'm going to start selling pitchforks at a reduced cost. You you might have quite. I, I think there's an upcoming pitchfork in market. I think there's a good market for that. I think kerosene for torches. Anyone? I think we have a compassion problem, not a money problem. Well, empathy fatigue is definitely one of my many problems. That's I'm not true. talking about compassion fatigue. I'm talking about compassion, period. And I'm talking... Mm, you're I, right. I have there's, none. There's not... <laughs> and there's not a national, state, or city entity that is off the hook when I say that. So the give-a-fuck deficit is a underlying issue? Yeah. I think it's the willpower issue that drives this metaphorical ship, hopefully not into an iceberg. But I, I mean, really, like when when Mr. Carlino, it's, it's an ice wall, okay, and it's holding us back from realizing that we're not living on a ball. But continue. <laughs> I'm not even going there. <laughs> but when Mr. Carlino talks about budgeting priorities, all I can say is yes and amen. If if there is, he needs, a, to, he needs to definitely talk about that and not the ACLU and litigation. If I don't care if he talks about the ACLU and litigation for that matter, but I will say. I will say it 
again, if we can find it in our budget to fund multi-million dollar projects consistently, why is this still an issue? Well, so, and I'm really waiting for a sincere answer. I'm like, I am asking someone to tell me the answer to this question because I still don't have an answer. So they, they want um, to make sure that you give a fuck. Okay. So there, they, I, I think there's an acknowledgement about the give a fuck deficit. The problem is their solution is Jedi. That's their solution is to codify through Jedi principles through justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Okay, that's what Jedi stands for. Um, I think we have an acronym crisis, actually, Ellie. I don't no, think it's a, I, I don't I think, think it's a give a fuck compassion. problem. It's an no, acronym problem. I think they may have read, I think, is it Sarah McKnight? The life-giving magic of not giving a F? Like, it, it's a good... You can say it out loud. It's a podcast. <laughs> I, well, I mean... But my mom's I, listening, so you don't, yeah, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to say that. I won't. But there is, there's, I mean, because the theory behind that podcast, and I believe it's a book as well, is you only have so many F bucks to give. And so where we put our F bucks, bucks mm -hmm. yeah, like, yeah, we're, I mean, there's a limited supply. See, this is what I don't agree with. This is what we began talking about, oh, and, and you're talking about full this circling. limited pie, and I'm like, no, I think we have an endless supply of F bucks to give if we just bake a bigger pie. So one of the things that if we're um, baking pies, we should not use methamphetamine as, a, as an ingredient because that's what the Nazis did. Yeah. So what I'm doing... Um, Wait, what does that have to... It might seem like a tough transition, and we're not actually going through all of the, the, the posts uh, as usual, but... Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about is books. So I'm giving my F bucks to books. I want to make a brick and book media nook idea into a reality. And the more that we know about the problem, the more we can study where things have kind of come from. Maybe we can provide a more accurate context to where we are. This book is one of many books I've gotten recently blitzed drugs in the third Reich. And it talks about meth and Nazis. Cause one of the posts I wrote about this week was Nazis. Remember that? It was one of the ones that we weren't actually going to talk about, even if we did talk about all of the links. But I do want to really quickly go through the posts of the week so that um, people have an idea. If they go to zoomcron.com, that's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N.com, I would like people to know the many, many articles that I've written. And that's one of the reasons why talking about the many, many articles at the end of the week can be such a challenge sometimes. So... A strange tales emerging about the days and months leading up to David Rasta Dave Winterburn's arrest. That's kind of fascinating. Homeless people are powerful because there's not much you can take from them. Rasta Dave has a house. And so I'm kind of curious if Rasta Dave continues to face his uh, $750,000 bond for the many, 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 many charges that were a result apparently of him losing his shit because he was taken by a Jamaican woman in a money extortion scheme read the post and then we have when political schizophrenics fight the culture war in double standard town lots of comments in that comment thread so jc tc they were battling i actually haven't read all the comments nor do i think i want to but um you can go and read that uh there's also is anyone in the criminal justice system doing their effing job i, I put a star where the u is and so it's not a That's full good. f word yeah i thought you'd appreciate that i do Normalizing violence while doing the drug dance in Double Standard Town. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that one. So after I go through the links, let's talk yeah. about that one. 
keeping a close eye on local government. That also is a policy conversation where we're talking about moving from neighborhood character to community form. Yeah. And so Erin Peehan is leading the charge on that. She is definitely a local bureaucrat to keep a close eye on, keeping a close eye on local government. Then we had beam me up, Scotty, for I can no longer distinguish between New Agers and Nazis. Okay. Sometimes I like to bring in to posts books that I'm finding, and I found a very interesting book. It's one of these. I have a stack here. New Age, Neo-Pagan, and New Religious Movements, and it talks about the Raelian UFO cult. Fascinating stuff. Um, aliens and UFOs and stuff like that. I'm getting a lot of books on, on in that area. It's definitely something to think about. But we focus on local news. So the last post, we're keeping the coroner and crime lab busy in Zoomtown. And for people that get maybe confused, like Zoomtown, Double Standard Town, that's all the same town. That's this town, Missoula, Montana. Why do you call it a Double Standard Town? Well, because sometimes people like me can make public comments and get point of order. Sometimes other people can have their supporters throw things from the gallery and they get like widely supported and they raise lots of in money. In fairness, that is in a different town. Apples and oranges, true. Okay, so um, we were hanging out in a park. Yep. And having a conversation. Part of my focus, though, was on a medical event that I thought oh. maybe was a medical event. But no, it was maybe breakdancing. But then it turned out to just be someone, you know, doing some stuff in the park with while their kid was playing in the playground. Yeah. So as a less biased observer of what transpired in terms of me approaching this man and asking if that was um, his kid, turned out it was his kid. And then, uh, well, he was upset and he thought that I was calling him a pedophile. I did not actually call him a pedophile. He was very upset. And he started yelling and screaming. Another mother at the playground tried to yeah. kind of shush him. Didn't work. And I walked away. He got in his piece of shit car. And he screamed at you after that, though. Yeah. Well, and then he, well, and I thought he was going to follow me. And, uh, but then he drove around slowly around the park and continued to let me know, actually, that I was pretty lucky, apparently. Yeah. So it's interesting, as all of this drug-fueled behavior is everywhere, I... This past week felt that maybe my own sort of vibratory thing was was drawing them to me. I've had yes. way too many interactions, and I need to do some self-assessment, I'm sure. But what the heck? How, how was that interaction for you, Allie? Bizarre. Uh, I was scared at a certain point and thinking probably 911 should be called. Yeah, and I'm sorry that I facilitated and initiated that interaction that led to you feeling less than safe. I was very concerned about the little girl. That's ultimately the, what I was vehicle. really sad about. Yeah. That's, that's not good because. Yeah. And that's why I walked away. Cause I realized that that kid who that dude had paid zero attention to yeah. in the many, 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 many minutes of breakdancing practice, you know, yeah. trying to set up the phone so that he could record himself. Holy cow. Um, other interactions we've had, we went and walked around a bit uh, on the river trails. So we parked at McCormick mm -hmm. Park where a lot of the tents are popping up. Yeah, there were a lot. We A lot, a lot. We walked with the idea of maybe having some conversations to get the feel the temperature, see if any uh, urban campers wanted to relate messages to city council. But the Lions Park right by the youth homes yeah. 
it did not feel like a, a I didn't want to approach any. There's too many dogs, too many people. There were at least 13 people in that little yeah. square patch of grass. And it, it's, I say this from my perspective, I, you know, having worked at the shelter, normally I would feel somewhat comfortable approaching different areas. But even back then there, there were camps that I wouldn't approach just based on a gut yeah. feeling. I did not feel like we should have those conversations. So we, we actually popped into the youth homes instead and, and talked to the, the two ladies at the front. And in what I will be posting with this conversation will be included. I acknowledge that they didn't feel all that safe coming to work. And I right. was not surprised to hear that. And the kids themselves then thinking about the yeah. on-site shelter, you know, another, another part of the post, you know, included a two-year-old girl that, that apparently walks away from her house and then was right next to a busy road. Yeah. You know, these are the kind of things you and I both understand Child Protective Services in Montana is one of those many agencies without the necessary funding, without the necessary staffing, because, again, Montana is a poor state. We only have a million people in this big, big state. How do you properly put resources, prioritize resources so that the most vulnerable are actually getting the protection that we should be giving them? Well, here's a, a clue. Sorry to be. Are you going to be blunt? <laughs> so blunt, but prioritize the least of these. Prioritize the most vulnerable populations. That should be like the most one? important thing. I believe, like, because as we do it under the least of these, that determines the health of our society. So I really don't want to hear people complaining about this problem. People are not a problem. What we, you know, public safety, that could be a problem. But we can't say that if we refuse to prioritize that in our budgets. And so I get a little, <laughs> my patience wears a little bit thin. Yeah. Um, in terms of priorities, I was looking up online. I don't know if there's a recent article. There's a recent opinion piece in the New York Times, but there's a phrase called deaths of despair. And a lot of times the deaths of despair stat is associated with older men. This New York Times, and I, I'm not Are a you talking about suicide? So deaths of despair include um, substance abuse as well. And so oh. people that are just basically engaging in self-destructive behavior as a result of despair. Despair is a sort of broad condition. It doesn't have to be clinical depression. It's deaths as, as the result of despair. And so that is a number, of course, I'm sure all these numbers can kind of be squishy, but um, what we are seeing just societally is alarming when i was out thursday night and i ran across the the law enforcement response to a body in the kiwanis park uh, public bathroom um it was there there were three young women that had been walking towards the park they'd obviously been at one of the bars and still had some drinks in hand and then a bunch of you know young men probably you know six or seven young men one of the kids looked like he was 12 he looked like baby-faced kid uh, my 12 year old looked older than him we're out walking around past midnight and I mentioned Joey Thompson to them and they, they were familiar with Joey Thompson. So Joey Thompson, the 18 year old that went missing April 11th and then showed up in the river dead in Mineral County. Um, you and I also took a drive out to, uh, to Alberton this week and we saw that hush van, right? The van that was parked on the side of the road and had been for two days. I tell you, just even looking at that picture, as I think about us stopping on the side of the, the interstate, I had such a bad feeling. Oh, yeah. Such a bad feeling when I saw that there were this man's hands on the steering oh, wheel yeah, absolutely. And, and the dog on the leash. I, we could not have gotten out there, gotten out of there quicker. And yeah. I called in Mineral County and Sheriff's Office. I, I made sure to let them know 
milemarker64 and go check this out. I hope they followed up. I hope they did. They don't have investigators necessarily to be following up on dead bodies showing up in their rivers, but uh, maybe all along the interstate, that's an easier, easier thing to do since they're up and down I-90. Anyways, Mineral County being to the west of us on that very critical I-90 corridor into our fair state. Um, let's see. Other things. I think it, it will hit them eventually, though, when it comes to elections and when it comes right. to people giving so much of a crap about what happens in their community that they actually go to the polls. I think we're coming to a point where people who were disengaged from politics are now unwittingly becoming involved in politics because they have to be. It is, I think there is a shift happening and Monday is going to be pretty interesting to see to see how many people are showing up. It's hard to see how many people are online. I'm not sure if those numbers are available, how many people tune in online to, to watch the... I know uh, Martin Kitston, the quote-unquote reporter for the Missoula Current, he, he's online watching. Um, how clearly he sees, well, that's a question uh, for another day. But um, there was something I was going to mention. I'm trying to scroll through the week's posts. and Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> on the normalizing violence while doing the drug dance post, there was also the stabbing that occurred. And Which one? <laughs> Well, which stabbing. So apparently there was some pushing and shoving in words inside the Pavarella Center. And that, oh, yes. that turned into a stabbing outside the Pavarella Center in which one man got on top of another man and um, poked him with a knife three or four times. Yeah. That guy got a felony assault with a weapon. Um, previously in, in this post, I linked to a woman who stabbed her boyfriend nine times and she got, uh, well, it said deliberate homicide on the jail roster, but it was an attempted deliberate homicide charge. I don't know the circumstances surrounding really either one of them. I think sometimes in sentencing, yeah, I'd be curious. But there can't be enough details that yeah. would that would warrant that disparity in charging, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not necessarily unusual. Um, what else was going on? A lot of dancing. If you if you take methamphetamine, you dance, and you can also lose world wars, according to this book, Blitzed. Yeah. So stay away from meth, kids, if you want to win a world war or um, – dance without destroying yourself other things we can cover I, i'm trying to just kind of take a look i don't know if you want to talk about star seeds and how um apparently the younger generations are speaking alien i have no understanding of any of that i think it's hard enough to be tethered to this reality yes let and alone it is definitely something to uh, to be aware of when you're going down some of these rabbit holes but there's an interesting link i'll just kind of mention to an article called The Dark Historical Roots of Starseeds by Jules Evans. It's on medium.com. And it's a really interesting article because it gets into some of the, the sort of uh, new age fascist occult underpinnings of early UFO narratives, early books that came out about the UFO experience. And even now there's new books coming out. Um, Whitley Strieber, for example, has a book called They or Them. Uh, and it's a... A lot of the book is a compilation of different letters he received over the years as he talked about his contact experience. A lot of weird stuff out there, and I think there is some value in exploring it, although that's not something I spend a lot of time at the blog covering. But mostly local stuff. Um, there's a nice picture of the young man that I was hoping to run across in Superior, Montana, Case in Kanop. This is one of two people that I think if there is an investigation going on into the death of Joey Thompson, uh, he would be one person to look at. So... 
haven't been able to acknowledge or to confirm if there is an active investigation. I assume that would be in Mineral County. The Missoula County Sheriff's Office said there is no suspected foul play concerning the death of Joey Thompson. Is that, that was, correct? That is correct. So the, the most recent communication uh, from Jeanette Smith, who is the communication person for the Missoula County Sheriff's Office, um, is that basically um, she copied and pasted the press release from April saying that there was no indication of foul play. I'm, I'm trying to see the exact language, but it was it was very disappointing, to say the least. So, uh, Missoula is not helping if there is an active investigation. Mineral County, if there is an investigation, would need the help, since they don't really have a dedicated investigator. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll just have to keep keep our eyes on what what's happening and or not happening. As I scroll, and I'm not sure if I can find it, must have been reported the previous week. Oh, here it goes. Okay. So Jeanette Smith responded to me from our April 27th press release. Um, quote, along with the on-site, on-site search, Missoula County Sheriff's Office Detective Division has investigated events before and after Thompson was reported missing. To date, detectives have found no evidence of criminal activity contributing to his disappearance. How many young people have we chatted with, especially after the memorial, that indicated no, no conversation with them? And wouldn't yeah. you think friends of Joey Thompson would be people you'd want to talk to if you're investigating the before part of this kid showing up dead? I would think so. So then the question is, are there Missoula County investigators doing their investigator job? Well, I never got a call back from the Missoula detective that was in the media as the point of contact for what was happening here in Missoula. So that was a call that I made that could have communicated information that I have in my brain, but it never happened. So I yeah. guess we'll just have to continue writing about it and investigating it, even though you and I are not paid investigators ourselves. Right. It, I think seeking truth is pretty important. And I think even general members of the public are beginning to see why that matters. And so in places where we feel like government is abdicating that responsibility, average everyday citizens are taking up the charge. They are. And that can look a lot of different ways. It can look like a constructive cleanup that community members are organizing themselves. It can also look like vigilante actions. And so I think that that spectrum of community response is something that depending on who is involving themselves directly, it can look differently and it look differently in different communities. Apparently, Ninth Circuit Court decisions greatly limit what can be done in a community like ours. I would love to get into a further conversation at some point about the Ninth Circuit decision and the Phoenix decision more in depth because that has been thrown out again and again. Well, let's let's see what um, what more time we have either later today or even maybe tomorrow morning, because J. Kevin Hunt, this is something I forgot to mention to you. Um, he has a alternative to the emergency ordinance. And so it, it's pretty extensive. Um, he's got a obviously legal background and practice law for many years in Oregon. And so it's interesting to see a citizen like J. Kevin Hunt offer an alternative. So that might be something that your mind would, would be able to wrap its head around more, better than mine, especially as my headache seems to be returning. So um, on that note, I know you've got limited time, so we're kind of right up against where you'll need to be heading out for a bit. But 
let let's try and reconnect to get through some more details. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, and for whatever reason, if this just is put out with just this conversation, um, there will be a song. I have to warn people, the song sounds different than usual. I did a little playing around with the with the input, but there will be a song at the end. So. We'll hopefully continue this conversation. Allie, thank you for joining me this this Saturday morning, June 3rd, 2023, to talk about the ins and outs of urban camping and some other things here in Zoomtown or Double Standard Town or what it actually is in reality, Missoula, Montana. Okay. Thank you. Until next time. All right, and we are back. It has been hours and hours of myself enjoying time with my little one and Ali has been actually cramming preparing like there's some kind of test a test on the ninth circuit court decision and the stuff going down in phoenix i've been geeking out let's am, be honest i am very excited to actually benefit from what you're going to help us understand because um the ninth circuit court decision is in my mind a mantra that the only way that I hear it is just it's said over and over and over again by our, our elected leaders. And so it's white noise. At this it's point. become this background noise. And one of the things before we get into this, um, I have been having an informal poll with people that I run across in our fair community. And my informal poll is asking them where they get local news. Now, oh. I don't always say that, you know, hey, I'm making some local news with this person named Allie on a podcast. And on a block five days a week, I, I don't say that all the time, um, but I'm always interested in where people are getting their local news, especially yeah. the young ones. So I was at a, at a grocery store uh, just, a, you know, about an hour ago, and I asked the, the young man at the register where he got his local news. And he said, well, the Missoulian's right there. And I was like, do, do you read the Missoulian? He's like, no, because I didn't think he did. I'm like, well, where right. do you get your local news? He's like, uh, I mean, it was like a stumper, you know, he's like, honestly, um, Reddit, he goes to Reddit. A to lot get, of people do to get local news. Like a lot of people do. I thought that was interesting. Um, I've also heard Montana public radio more than a few times as the one, the few places to get local news. And so as we think broader about, um, how we need more voices talking about local stuff, and you know what that could actually look like it's going to be interesting it would be fun to have like a if there was like a weekly again like a hard copy weekly to have like the reddit section or like updates from reddit you know where you can kind of pull from the digital world and you pull it into the hard copy and then you can also send hard copy inquiries to to the online world so with like passwords and, and stuff but that's not what we're actually getting into. You're, you're looking at me like, hey, I thought we we're going to talk about what I want to talk about, which is Ninth Circuit Court decisions. So now you're smiling again. That's good. <laughs> what? Okay, so how, how do we want to get into this? How do we want to start bringing this, this concept, legal concept, down into the world where people can actually understand it? In Normalville. Okay, so as someone who grew up in Missoula, yes, I you did. felt safe in the streets there was no place as a kid that i felt like i couldn't go ride my bike sometimes deep into the kim williams trail at that time was right. not great but generally speaking there was no place that was I, off i'm limits. gonna quickly pause you and say that one of the things i heard i think we actually heard that from the youth homes one of the people at the youth homes is that their child is not allowed to, um, with oh, the, the sure. high school, they're not allowed to go jogging Running, down the yeah. Kim Williams Trail anymore. Right. That's actually a rule of the local high yeah. school. Yeah, and now people feel generally 
unsafe even in daylight hours walking on the main river trail not just the kim williams trail or part of that but you it's really hard for people to walk alone or even in groups because they don't know what might confront them so i'm interested how you're setting up the legal part of this because i know you got a kick-ass legal mind and you were thinking about how to get into this this topic and we're not going to talk about Phoenix yet, right? We're going to talk about the Ninth Circuit Court right. decision. What is the geography of the Ninth Circuit? What does that cover? Okay, after a quick pause, you took a look, Allie, and, and what are we looking at in terms of our district, the Ninth District? The Ninth Circuit entails Alaska, Arizona, California, Guam, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, the Northern Mariana Islands, Oregon, and Washington. Huh, interesting. So those are all the places that local municipalities um, have their hands tied behind their backs in terms of being able to enforce illegal camping laws if they have them on their books. Yes, and you have jumped ahead multiple logical I'm going to, okay, there. we'll see, you know, I, I do get excited about this kind of like homeless encampment yeah. conversation. It's hard not to want to just jump ahead and start cleaning up meth labs, you know, but we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Right. We're talking about the Ninth Circuit Court decision. Yeah. So it um, started in Boise. Yep. And several homeless individuals brought suit. I thought it was just one person. It was several. I believe it was several. We could look back at that, but I think it was more than one. Who brought suit? You can verify that if you Take would. A look. And their claim was an Eighth Amendment argument, saying that it is cruel and unusual punishment to imprison and fine someone for camping on the streets when they have no alternatives. Right. They have no shelter beds available in the city. Now so that's the Martin versus Boise yes. decision. Correct. And so it's interesting because it's not just, so then you start getting into definitions of shelter and like different criteria for shelters. And I believe in Boise, they have a few different shelters and they all have different criteria. Some you can stay in up to 17 days. Some have like they're men specific or they're women specific. And so, and, and this restriction, if my understanding is correct, doesn't apply to people who would otherwise be precluded from shelter. So suppose someone gets kicked out of a shelter for bad behavior or something. Hmm. That might be treated differently. Well, I, I don't want to jump ahead again, but one of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of making public comment and what my public comment should be about yeah. is what we're talking about. We, we, we mentioned a little bit about shelter, training, staffing, all that stuff. What about nursing homes, uh, mental health facilities, treatment facilities? Like when we're actually talking about the, the challenges of addressing what leads someone to live in a tent, right? Um, the actual infrastructure we are lacking in a state like Montana is so significant. And I say this having worked at the homeless shelter for seven years, um, the elderly population, especially if we don't yeah. have nursing homes for sure that people with alcohol co-occurring mental health issues, those are the, the, the ways in which the system describes these people like, Oh, you have a mental health diagnosis like Alzheimer's. 
um, or a cognitive, that would be more cognitive, and then you actually have continued alcohol abuse, that's co-occurring. And the ability to get into a, a regular nursing home for some of these people is very challenging. Sure. So, um, and we're ta we have people in wheelchairs that probably yeah. should be in nursing homes that will be intense. I mean, that is part of the urban yeah. camping population are people that have been kicked out of all the nursing homes in the local yeah. area. So, and I say that from experience, having seen some of these situations like up close and personal. So, yeah. So the upshot of the Ninth Circuit decision is you cannot criminalize homelessness when there are no alternative shelters. So in other words, the it is an Eighth Amendment violation to enforce those laws. Is, is that kind of interesting? That's kind of an interesting thing because if people don't have an alternative, then it is considered cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, so it so, is considered so, excessively high so, bail. Okay, it, now for we're, fines. we're getting yeah. we're getting close to talking about the zone. But before we talk about the zone in Phoenix, I want to talk about the reality of not having well-paid staff that are well-trained, not having an appropriate facility. So, what if the shelter options? themselves are scary places oh, yeah. where predation is happening. For so sure. the Johnson Street shelter, um, one of the clients that I've known for a long time, so he is a local, he's been in and out of uh, different types of housing. So he was at the TSOS. He's now in some, I, I believe, permanent supportive housing. He got kicked out of the TSOS for actually smoking cigarettes in his tent. They didn't yeah. have the hard shell yeah. little you know, rooms back then. And so they, they downgraded him to the Johnson Street shelter where he got the phone he had stolen as he was mm. sleeping from his pocket. And so anyone knows if you lose a phone, if you lose an ID, something like that, that really sets you back in how you navigate the system. Yeah. And, and so that was a huge challenge for him. But if you... <laughs> The Pavarilla Center is doing the best they can with the staffing they have, and I don't want to be overly critical of my former employer. The reality is people have been uh, sexually assaulted within the shelter. They have been physically assaulted that it's led to death. Um, there was a suicide in one of the bathrooms that a friend of mine that I worked a long time with had to respond to. And so if you cannot keep people safe, even within the shelter, <laughs> so, I mean... It, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a, an interesting conversation as we look at what shelter is defined as, what our local leaders think of it as. I really want the authorized camping site, the ACS. I want an assessment, a post-mortem on why that failed. Like we cannot be sinking more money into more shelters, more shelter beds, shelter spaces, if there's not going to be an ability to actually create a non-Eighth well, Amendment situation within the shelter. They have to be safe spaces and so that's you know one of the conversations that i've heard is how do you make a, a lot of the people that we're talking about and i just want to again make this distinction this is not the majority of people who find themselves homeless this is a i believe a minority of people who represent a criminal element who may have uh, you know substantial substance misuse disorder and well, there's a reason why the johnson street shelter is seasonal and that's because 
there are fluctuations in the populations that are being served. Sure. And in the summertime, uh, an area like this sees a seasonal influx of people. Right. That is an absolute reality. Uh, you always hear the, the rumors that, oh, under the underpasses in Spokane and Seattle, there's directions to yeah. Missoula. That may or may not be true. Um, we send people other places from this town, people in rural parts of the state send people here yeah, sometimes for, sure. for the hospital. I heard a lot that of times, from Billings. Yeah, a lot of times people are actually coming to Billings and Missoula um, from other parts of the state because of medical services. Uh, medical services are a big reason why people come here. Um, and then how do you get out of, uh, out of a town like this so when you get stuck here? There are some legitimate issues like that. There's also professional shelter hoppers. I remember when the POV was doing their one of their campaigns raising money and they were doing faces of the POV. And so faces of the POV had some great portraits. It was both photography and then paintings. One of the guys, and I won't say which one was a total professional shelter hopper. This guy yeah. ran the circuit. He went up and down the country, you know, East and West, North and South. When there was a new shelter opening up, he'd go and check it out. I learned a lot from him. I, I may have mentioned this before, but you have to have a filter and it can't just be what we have right now, which is a coordinated entry system relying on map. Like we talked about, um, because <laughs> it, I mean, there's nothing in any of this that says you can't ask people questions about what right. their situation is. Right. I mean, that seems to be something you can do. We're, we're talking right. right now about public nuisance is yeah, being, can... is a big issue. Um, public nuisance was something referenced in the Missoulian article about, the cleanup under the Russell Bridge. That was an interesting point right. that one of the the residents of that area was interviewed and the Missoulian actually pointed yeah. out that he yep. had had uh, several non-appearances in court for public nuisance tickets. Yeah. So tickets are actually being issued. People are failing to appear. Yes. That could lead to warrants. Um, and so there is some types of enforcement moving around in, in, in the system it seems like because there's so much attention, there's going to be some kind of weird criminal justice flex that, that will start happening just because there's so much public attention on it right now. It's interesting because if you create a space, and this is, correct me if I'm wrong, like the ACS was, where it's, what would you call it, a low barrier? <laughs> oh that... my goodness. You told me a piece of information. <laughs> I did. And... We are going to share that information. We don't, we're not going to share where it came from, which individual yeah. um, within law enforcement. There was, a, there was a name for the ACS, sort of like a shorthand term yes. for the ACS, the authorized camping site, the Thunderdome. Yes. <laughs> and because I don't oh. get pop culture references... Man, I told you because I figured and you did would Did you see understand. how delighted I was when you, when you were, told me that? Very much so. I shouldn't be. That's probably a really inappropriate response to be excited. I just that assumed it was terrible. So, Well, for people that don't know the Mad Max Thunderdome reference, you go into this cage and you battle for your freedom. And I literally have joked around at, at certain points in terms of the gallows humor yeah. that uh, we should probably enact some kind of program where there is a battle for housing and we, we televise it reality TV style. Wouldn't that just be great? You know, we, we pit different people against each other. You can like have, have a back them in different ways and, you know, bring gambling into it. It, should, it can be all kinds of fun. Something yeah, terrible like idea. I am kidding mostly, but <laughs> the reason why the authorized camping site, a low barrier. So yes. if you want to use a, a service provider 
term low barrier. That means active use right. of substances can, can, can occur. And when I had a great conversation with, um, with David Pritchard from Rogers International, he said that he was able to communicate to the service providers, yes, I get what you mean by low barrier. That doesn't mean no rules. Right. And so part of the conversation, and this is very important because in terms of a postmortem with the ACS, this helps us moving forward. Yeah. One of the things that, that turned my, and I, I hope Kevin Hunt is listening so he can better understand why I'm like now weirdly supportive of private security in certain situations. Um, I, I can't say that I go all the way there. Right. And, and isn't it amazing that we can not agree on everything and still have great conversations? Yeah. So um, my mentality right now is sort of triage, right? You have to kind of be realistic. And so people that are dealing with reality on the ground, they impress me. And when I understood that um, some of the concerns that were articulated to the city were that, hey, you are changing the rules on what can be built within this zone. So the authorized camping site allowed initially people to build. And some of these folks that were there were actually pretty, pretty uh, industrious. And they built things that quickly caused concern. It caused concern about access for, for the fire department and for the EMTs. And the problem is the rules changed. And when, when you have an attempt at, at security establishing some kind of authority, that authority yeah. actually revolves around some amount of trust that you are going to follow up and do what you're going to say you're going to do. Yeah. And when the rules changed from the city, that actually had an impact on how the authority could be um, sort of perceived between the security and then the, the clientele. Yeah. And that made sense to me. That was a dynamic that I understood having to try and keep some kind of, of order within a varied population that had much different ideas about what they wanted to do. And so the rules and the, and the ideas of what could happen within this zone changed. And now we should probably talk about Phoenix. Yeah. So if, if you're ready to move on to Phoenix. Yeah. I was just thinking one more thought on that. So the problem, like the cliffhanger problem that I don't have an answer to is something like a low barrier place like the ACS or certain zones that we may talk about in the near distant future. The problem is, do you make it comfortable for people to live? No. <laughs> in the midst of all this, in, in the midst no, of the depravity, you, you don't make it See, too comfortable. And that's the thing, because like, because that's where people. I mean, and yeah, I'm very excited to talk about certain zones um, in different regions. Well, but, but but here's another part is, of it. If you're going into housing, um, a lot of people that do have some amount of income, like disability, they are going to be required to pay a percentage. Some people don't want that percentage to go yeah. to housing when they have the option of zero percentage because they are just popping a tent and creating right. a shanty town next to the river. So, right. um, because some of these structures are shanty town. We were under the yeah. bridge by the California Street yeah. Bridge to see Armando's latest right. latest digs. Holy crap, man! Extensive. That guy can start uh, landscaping. And I pointed out to you because you're like, "Well, it's not too bad." I was you know? like, "It looks kind of good, uh, honestly." Because it looks like there's been some work done. Yeah, <laughs> that work is erosion. That is erosion. <laughs> yeah, that's a, the environmental. Health Morgan is, Valiant with Parks and Rec would important. lose his shit, and that's, probably is losing his shit. That is fair. Because um, real environmental concerns. Right. When we were yeah. talking about um, when I was still working at the Pavarella Center and the West Broadway Island, mm -hmm. so the West 
West Broadway Island is another area that encampments are happening. This is very close to the Lions Park uh, where the youth homes is adjacent to the latest shanty town, um, which I did take a picture of. Um, you can't really see the tents too, too well, but um, the West Broadway Island, part of the conversation that was happening back then was between Parks and Rec, law enforcement, and myself with the Pavarello Center. And Morgan Valiant really liked the riparian habitat. He didn't want yeah. the riparian habitat to be too dis disrupted. Law enforcement was like, cut that shit down. They're going to hide. They're going to do drugs. Right. In there. People are going to get raped like in the in the bushes. Right. Um, law enforcement tended to be right in a lot of this stuff. And I kind of support cutting the bushes. Yeah. So 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 there I are, didn't like it at first, but I appreciated it. There are there are design things that can happen. Um, and it's, it's interesting because now. Oh, man. I mean, erosion, you're looking at uh, and this is all kinds of use. So all kinds of use along the river um, creates potential for erosion. So if you're walking along the riverfront and you see some fencing put up, it's usually because they don't want anyone going down there and causing more erosion. One of the questions or one of the, the, the com points of conversation I had with Morgan back in the day was Jacobs Island. Jacobs oh. Island by the university. Yeah. Okay. The Bark Park was created because that was an area that had problems with camps, oh. with, with homeless camps. And the Bark Park, while appreciated by lots of lots of people with their, their canines, yeah. that has created even more erosion. And so I remember Jeez. Morgan saying that was a, a sort of, you know, unforeseen consequence. I mean, yeah. one of the issues of doing different things, there are unforeseen consequences. Another point I'm going to make as we're talking about some of these areas around Missoula um, I have to say when I'm wrong sometimes, and it greatly upsets me, I don't like what? doing it, but I actually, I think I said it in public comments at one point where what? I was wrong about private security in this area, but the fence along reserve street combined with continued patrols by Rogers international has kept preserve hey. street from becoming inhabited again. <clears throat> You see that? Am I drinking Kool-Aid? I think you're drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm glad it? you got that. You got that gesture without even. That's what. That's what you just. That's you're saying. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. You're drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm having all kinds of problematic because, responses. Yeah, I'm agreeing I, with things I, that I used to really be I, against. I, I don't know what's what's wrong with it, me. I find that actually upsetting because I remember <laughs> the half fence post and like conversation. They cost so I, much money. I still have issues with it. Okay, it looks ugly. You're trying to. You're trying to walk it back now because you but realize. But it's working. That's that's you, the thing. I said it wasn't it, going to work. Is it grape? The the Kool Aid. The, the flavor of the Kool Aid. God, or? this is this. What's is your favorite? What's your favorite flavor of Kool Aid? Um, rainbow flavor. <laughs> well, I like to taste the rainbow. Or is that uh, Skittles? The marketing gets crossed-wired in my mind because I'm an artist and you're, I make you're collages. You're deflecting. I'm trying from to change the subject the desperately, but you're not letting me get I, away. I won't. Like that's. Okay. Yeah. Well, good luck me admitting I'm wrong again. Like, this is the kind <laughs> of treatment I get. But I really do have to acknowledge that it seems to be working. And at some point... <laughs> he, the, <clears throat> he doubles down. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse okay. me. The, the whack-a-mole will send people there eventually. So let me, let me give a prediction. <laughs> okay. At some point, holes in the fence. Wire cutters... Okay. Well, yeah. To access Reserve Street once again. So as as people are being bounced around, yeah. that's going to happen later this summer, I'm or by by new people coming through town, or by next week, for all we know. So I'm just I can be I can get some uh, retribution isn't the term. Um, redemption. I'll Red redeem myself. Yeah. <laughs> redemption. When that when that prophetic 
yeah. calling comes true. And you can't be the one with the clippers. You're right. You can't be the one cutting. The well, I, and I do get sometimes worried that as I ambulance chase that, and, and I, I keep on getting images of like, oh, there's the law enforcement pulling a body out of Kwana's, uh, Kwana's yeah. public, public bathroom. I'm you like, don't want to like, be deemed the serial killer or if I'm whoever. Conveniently here too often and seeing this, that doesn't necessarily look sketch. good. Um, but yeah, that was one of the posts of, of this week. Was and if you're drinking the Kool Aid, that's even more concerning because Lord. then there's like, I yeah, I think that. there's territorial disputes going on. Do you have any more Ninth on. Circuit before we go, Taz? Oh, Chaz. hundred percent. We haven't even talked about Phoenix. I know which I, Taz Chaz. That's the Taz yeah, Chaz. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited about that. Um, so so Phoenix is not in the Ninth Circuit, right? Arizona. So Arizona. So this is a. I believe it was a lower court decision. Don't hold me to it. Yeah, Actually, pull make sure we're pull still that up. I think I sent you pull what the, up? Um, the link to an article. I wish I had the actual language. I wish I had the document. In front so of we'll go ahead and look for that because I'll, I'll talk just a, a bit about um, what we are both excited about. Phoenix must clear tents located on public property in, quote, the zone. Yes. So... There are lawsuits that are starting to brew here, or at least there's conversations about lawsuits. In Phoenix, the litigation is focused on something called the zone. And within this zone, the public nuisance, so quote unquote public nuisance, yes. um, is becoming one of the focuses. And I'm going to read a little bit. So keep on okay. looking and I'm okay. going to read this article. So this comes from 12 News in Phoenix. <clears throat> a judge has ruled that the city of Phoenix must address the public nuisance that a downtown homeless encampment has created for local property owners. In a lawsuit filed last year, downtown residents and business owners accused the city of failing to enforce laws and allowing unsheltered individuals to live in an encampment known as the zone. The plaintiffs said a rise in criminal activity and waste buildup prompted them to take legal action against Phoenix. So I was like Phoenix, the city, the city rebutted by arguing that citizens can't instruct them on how to enforce their own policies. We're going to not follow the laws if we want to. Neener, neener, neener. That was their rebuttal. Oh. Um, Judge Scott Blaney ruled Monday. And so Monday, this is, let's see, March 28th, 2023. So a couple months ago. Um, Judge Scott Blaney ruled Monday that the lawsuits plaintiffs had shown that Phoenix is allowing the encampment to become a nuisance. I'm going to read more. Quote, the evidence also strongly suggests that the city created and maintains the dire situation that currently exists in the zone through its failure and in some cases refusal to enforce criminal and quality of life laws in the zone. The judge wrote, wrote in the ruling. So at the Reserve Street used to be our zone and our zone. It took uh, the Department of Transportation as the property owner to go individually against some of the remaining tenants and yeah. and basically take them to court through injunctions yeah it wasn't an eviction process it was injunctions okay continuing on therefore the judge has ordered the city to clear public property in the zone of any tents or makeshift structures <laughs> oh i'd like to check out the zone the city of phoenix is prohibited from continuing to maintain a public nuisance on the public property in the zone the ruling states more than a dozen business and property owners are part of the lawsuit which was filed in mm -hmm. august 2022 to prompt the city to do more to address conditions in the encampment. Quote, in the short term, I really home this means. I think that's supposed to be hope. 
I really hope. hope this means it's going to get cleaned up, said Carl Freund, one of the plaintiffs. In the long term, I really genuinely want to see these people getting help. What does that look like? We don't know yet. Hmm. Interesting. So it is at issue is, is it a public nuisance? Who's bringing the suit? Property owners and business people. So while it may not be a binding decision, this this decision wasn't from the Ninth Circuit. Right. It was a, a you know, Arizona court or whatever. And it would crawl up to a different uh, district court if it's being appealed. No, I think appealed. Arizona, I believe, is in the Ninth Circuit. Oh, okay. okay. Regardless, but it's like a lo- so it's like if, if a Montana district court ruled on something that wouldn't be binding in Arizona. Right. Gotcha. So something like that. Um, but while not binding, it is instructive because if you're seeing a pattern here, so one, and I, I grant the fact we don't have a technical zone or something we call the zone currently. So that's a distinguishing factor. However, when you're starting to see a public nuisance, like public mm. safety, businesses who have somewhat the willpower to start speaking up uh, about it, might there be standing to make a similar argument here? I'm guessing so. I have a conspiracy theory. What? I have just cooked it up. So, a couple things that I'm going to say, and I hope this doesn't take us too far off track. So, mm-hmm. the, the, the Chazes and the Tazes and the, yes. the Kazes, whatever as yeah. is you're talking about, um, actually comes from something that Hakeem Bey, not his real name, because he is, uh, from my research, a perv. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Hakeem Bey. But he wrote something called TAS. And TAS stands for temp- the Temporary Autonomous Zone. So this is ontological anarchy and poetic terrorism. That's hmm. like the, the subtitle. Yeah. Part of what this idea was, and I was drawn to this in my younger days of, you know, oh, so you... It's kind of it's kind of like li- extreme libertarians that want to create areas of free market, no yeah. rules, anything goes, right? Right. They don't want it to become Thunderdome, but sometimes that shit might yeah. turn into the Thunderdome. But as I'm thinking of the Taz, and as I'm thinking of another dynamic that's always important to consider, and that's the problem reaction solution. So you create or you exacerbate a problem because you know or have some confidence in your ability to steer the reaction towards your solution. I am now wondering if Aaron Peehan, Department of Everything person, okay, who ascended modestly, um, starting with the Joseph Residence, a family oh, yeah, shelter with I the Pavarella Center, the and then she became executive director of the Pavarella Center when Ellie Hill washed out. That's a very accurate term. Washed out. She's not washed out yet, though. She's still kicking. Um, though quiet these days. But nonetheless, Aaron Peehan might have a ninja move. I, what? A ninja move. Okay. Because part of what's going on right now is the code reform conversation as well. Right. I like to connect things. Even if there's no discernible or obvious connections, I can always make one up. So if I was a ninja, I would be like, <clears throat> okay, all these people are complaining. More complaints than ever before. Every city council member is hearing from every yeah. constituent that has to like see the, the rapid degradation of the riverfront of their quality of life yeah um public nuisance hell yeah they're gonna say they're gonna say shit yeah uh, where do i like where's the lawyer you know <clears throat> excuse me so 
if you're transforming the code language, okay, from neighborhood character to community form, maybe you strengthen language that takes takes community form and you you codify something that will help insulate these new zoning areas from illegal encampments. So maybe you take that and now's the time to take that language and make sure it's in the new community form code instead of this neighborhood character that's all squishy and you know we don't want all these racist white people in the university district saying we want to keep our single occupancy homes, you know. Uh, I mean, part of the, the, the hope from, I think, the city leaders is pushing density everywhere they can because they want to share the pain of a town turning into a city. So part of that is, you know, they also want to streamline all, all these antiquated old zones. Yeah. But, but you're, you're thinking, have I, have I given you any, anything of, you know, quality to think about with my conspiracy theory? That the neighborhood character transforming to community form along with this crisis of urban camping, that somehow those two could walk hand in hand into the future of Missoula's utopia. At least that's what they'll say. Yeah, I think redefining things definitely does make a bigger impact than we immediately foresee because what you're talking about is code reform that most people probably will never hear from or hear about minus this conversation. Right. And so there's seemingly minor adjustments in the language that might have a bigger impact down the road. What I keep thinking about is this zone thing and the concept of having a zone. I would argue that the place where the POV is and where the YWCA used to be right across from right. the POV, that seems to me to be a zone. Okay. It's not like a big zone, but so, it's definitely a tent city. Here, here's one way in which a zone could be defined. If there is a need to look at data in terms of calls for service. So fact calls for service. I, I got the impression from a conversation that I had and I won't get into the details too much, but those numbers are already being heavily looked at by at least PD. And I also wanted to mention Mike Collier is officially the police chief. Oh, I saw that. That is a very important um, thing to note because we have had him as in a transition a sort of interim yeah. uh, position. He's been an interim position before during our last transition from Mike Brady to Jason White. So now Mike Collier, hey, fixer to permanent police chief. So um, I am very interested in in how calls to service within probably a couple block radius could could impact what you're what you're talking about. Um, that's the the potential for litigation by people in that immediate area. Business owners, property owners. The off Broadway condos are experiencing a lot of issues, and that is the other factor in me changing my opinion temporarily because of triage. What is that? A, is that a gutless caveat? caveat yes okay well i'm gonna be gutless for a bit and hedge <laughs> i'm gonna hedge but you can't deny someone like pat montgomery okay he is a citizen and he's becoming more outspoken and th that's part of where some of the i think the conversation about litigation is, is starting to come from yeah the off-broadway residents were worried from the get-go when the pov first moved to West Broadway. And I was part of those conversations about the, we had a good neighbor policy at yeah. that time we were trying to enact that we would actually 
um, extend loss of services to bad behavior in the immediate area. Um, we had a pretty good relationship with the YWCA before they fled. Um, other businesses fled which, as the situation degraded. Which, by the degraded. way, they rightly fled? Absolutely, 100%. I really... Cindy Weiss was the executive director at the time. So many assurances were given to the YWCA. They were worried from the very, very beginning, and their Rightly worries were so. legitimate. The neighborhood's worries were legitimate. Um, I feel actually really bad for my role in all of that conversation about getting the PAV out of downtown, but the reality was it was never going to stay downtown. The location is what it is now, um, but... If we look at the, the area that Rogers International was, was patrolling, and the, if there is a dip in calls to service and then it goes back up when they, when they lose their contract, that's the kind of data I'm talking about. Just like when I was talking about data, like about bringing in asylums. You are just not hearing any of this. You are, the, the eyes sorry. are rolling. I'm, I'm. Do I do I do I do I lose integrity yeah, for changing my mind I, on this, I, or do I do I gain integrity I'm, for for no, saying I may be wrong no. and that we are in a triage situation? I all I know is like I don't doubt the neighborhood appreciates the feeling of more security. Pat Montgomery said someone I, actually had a gun pulled yeah, on them. You know, I and I appreciate what Pat, Pat Montgomery has to say. I really do. I think he was pretty articulate and all of that. I'm just saying I. But you're gonna you're gonna think of a I, another I'm way to slip in a Kool Aid reference if you can. Having huh? a hard time <laughs> digesting since I don't drink the Kool Aid, so it's like if, oh, if the poison's not oh. going down quite. Please forgive me. If I mean, there, there's a reason we have public law Forgiving. enforcement. <laughs> Just there, say, I'm just going to so, leave it at that, and we can better fund them. We can. So this, I, is, this is the weird thing that puts me at odds with, uh, with Kevin Hunt and Daniel Carlino. And it's not at odds. We can continue having good conversations um, because ultimately we want this to be a safe community where we are going to continue living. So I think common ground exists in that area. But um, so I have are you compassion for payroll. Like, is this like legit? No. Are I, you I, are you getting paid to like do a cameo? No. For Man, I wish. I wish. Um, this has been brought to you by Rogers. No, do call, not. They're totally going to sue you call for that. Five five five. <clears throat> um, I mean, honestly, I I would probably five hire, five five Kool Aid. I would hire private security. Were I to successfully challenge Josh Slotnick for county commissioner with the slogan. Um, Keep the cartel. Or, or what was my slogan? Oh man, I'm screwing it up. Um, keep the cartel on Netflix, not in our backyard. That wasn't the That's slogan. A pretty long slogan. I know. Not as good as uh, the Canop. The K is not silent for Sean's slogan. Anyways, I'm once again trying to change the subject because it is an uncomfortable position. I will admit it is uncomfortable for me to be flipping. Uh, to be supporting in some ways patrols that seem to be effective, fencing that seems to be effective. Oh my goodness! Like, I all know. right, so, Damn it. so somebody's <laughs> got to hold the line here. I'm gonna start and dropping f bombs. I here. will. <laughs> I yeah, I'm I'm rendered speechless by this. So the Phoenix zone is going to be is is in the process of being litigated. The city officials here don't want that to have relevance to what might be brewing in Missoula. But I believe it still may have relevance. It, oh, absolutely. It, like I said, not binding, but instructive. And if, if the city doesn't think that that could happen here, I think it might happen here. 
Well, credit where credit is due. I say that in the post that this podcast episode will be featured in. Jordan Hess was standing there when the Russell Street encampment was being cleaned up. Which I truly appreciate. I have he, he, he deserves credit. I, I mean, have great affection for Mayor Hess. I do. Oh. I do. Okay. I think he's a great guy. And I think he has a kind heart. And I think he's trying to do his best and do the right well, thing. And, and, you know, this goes without saying. Everyone, I think, is got the best intentions. And, you know, one of the things that, that Mr. Hunt, you know, consistent commenter. There's nothing but Hunt comments right now. If you look at the blog at ZoomCron. Oh, really? Yeah. He, he found like five or six. He, he kind of goes on a roll sometimes and just is comment crazy. But... Um, you know, he, he's really bent out of shape that I continue to criticize Jake Coolidge, the municipal judge who once upon a time was a volunteer for my homeless outreach program. And I've even had to like change my perception on broken windows. This theory that says, you know, if you allow this permissive environment of windows being broken and not fixed and trash being allowed to build up and no one's cleaning it up, then you actually create an environment in which more serious crimes can be and probably will be committed. Yeah. I hate to say that there's accuracy there because I was so talked about nicely in the in Jake Coolidge's graduate thesis. They, they, they were speaking in such glowing terms, but they also pointed out the weakness of the homeless outreach program was basically in this person, me, and my ability to form these relationships and to provide an alternative to a law, right. law enforcement response to chronic homelessness. Not the, duplicative? The, well, the, the effort um, it took for just a few individuals. So as I talk about the passing of some of this older generation, um, one guy that, that passed away last winter was David Bishop. And he you know, had his um, feet pretty frozen in the wintertime, spent a lot of time in the Sleepy Inn Motel before it changed ownership hands and then ultimately got torn down. But um, it took so much work to get some of these shelter-resistant people into a place that would stick. And for David, it was literally going to his payee because David had income. He would get money. The problem is everyone knew David was going to Marty Brown to get his, his money, and they would get that bottle in front of his face so that he would spend money on drinking instead of what I ended up doing, which was taking the portion that he needed to pay for the week at the motel. I would go bike it to the motel person so that that money would get in there for yeah. the motel. So he had a place to stumble back to. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I think, you know, Mike Nugent, Jordan Hess, um, one of the things they're lacking in their plans in terms of homelessness, I think any plan that doesn't immediately put me in charge of something significant it's is just a, a screwed up plan. It's like, why am I not the homeless czar? I didn't think we had one. I know. And that's my point. So I will be the homeless czar. I humbly accept that position as it's being created for me um, by whoever wins the mayor race. So I'm excited to accept that position. Okay. It's going to be cool to be the homeless czar. I have a song that's going to be at the end of this and it, it doesn't sound like me because I messed around with it. And so it sounds pretty terrible actually, but I kind of think it's fun. And I, at the end of it, I talk about how I would be the poop person because San Francisco has literally had to create jobs and they use apps to respond to poop. And the, the, the excrement in San Francisco has gotten so significant in like the Tenderloin District and places like that. Unbelievable what has been allowed to happen in some of these bigger cities. Uh, That's awful. 
part of that is the fentanyl, the drugs Sanitation in these bigger cities. Sanitation is a is a public health hazard. Well, so what, the the video, and I might have to include this video in the post too. We'll see. It's pretty packed already, but um, I have some of Jordan Hess's proclamation on on Juneteenth. He had this you know proclamation on one of the city council things, and so I took a little portion of that, and then I overlaid images of all of our different homeless encampments that I've taken footage of. And one of them, <laughs> you can tell it's, it's toilet paper. And within a week, all of that was underwater. That was the oh. encampment. That was the non-compliant offenders camp right in the river. And so that was the latrine. He dug out a latrine in that little island Jeez. that then was just underwater. Again, and that it, was pointed out in public comments by someone else. It reminds me of in Montana's constitution, we have the right to a clean and healthful environment. Yes, we do. Montana's constitution has been right. a a long held point of pride by by Absolutely. residents that were born here. I was born in Spokane, um, so and Allie, I think you should definitely appreciate that. Do you have yeah. something you can talk about while I while I um, get up and and go try and find something real quick? Just start talking. Sure. I, know. Just, sure. I do think it's important to realize the environmental impact that this honestly has had on our community. And I, I think it's not insignificant. I'm so thankful for the river cleanups that take place at different times of the year and the number of people from the public who participate in those cleanups and a lot of times they're volunteer-led. Um, I'm also thankful for the nonprofits who've engaged in cleanups, and I think that's work that should continue. But the environmental aspect of this should not be neglected or overlooked. No, it should not. It should not, as I run back. Um, the environmental impact is significant, absolutely. And Reserve Street saw 60 tons of trash removed from that area. Do you see what I just gave you? What I what yes. I put in your hand? The beloved Constitution of the State of Montana. It's a hard copy. From March 22nd, 1972. Yeah, it's a hard copy. Do you want me to read the preamble? Yeah, absolutely. We the people of Montana, grateful to God for the quiet beauty of our state, the grandeur of our mountains, the vastness of our rolling plains, in desiring to improve the quality of life, equality of opportunity, and to secure the blessings of liberty for this and future generations, do ordain and establish this constitution. Oh, wow. I'm glad I grabbed that for you. Yeah. I'm glad I have a hard copy. I feel better. <laughs> Well, I think the the things that I'm going to try and put together in terms of the three minutes I would have to make public comments, I want them to be somewhat constructive. Uh, the city council might hear some negativity, some criticism. Whether or not I think there's going to be federal money, uh, there's not going to be state money. One of the things that's been so disappointing is opportunities lost at the state level to take really significant surplus money and not do anything significant with it that will and we've already mentioned that before but that's going to continue to to haunt us just like custom medicaid years ago during a couple sessions ago those custom medicaid continued to haunt us one of the things that um people don't understand in montana and i've had to explain this to clients that have moved from other states with other resources because they have cities with millions of people not just a state with one million 
is that the Medicaid, especially for medically needy people, we have a bunch of different Medicaid programs. They're incredibly confusing, but for medically needy, there's a spend down. And that's one of the one of the things that people don't realize. They have to give over a significant portion of their their monthly check to spend down to be poor enough yeah. in order to qualify for the medically needy Medicaid program. It's crazy. It is very crazy. You I, have something else you're looking like you want to read I, from the I Constitution. I did find from the Environment and yes. Natural Resources section. Yes, read that. Read that. Section right one: Protection and Improvement. So I believe this is Article Nine, Section One. The state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. You know, Montana Constitution democracy lovers should really listen to that because I know the threat to the Clark Fork is Smurfit Stone, Smurfit Stone, Smurfit Stone. That's where there might be federal cleanup money. That's why that's been a talking point. There are environmental issues obviously obviously with what's happening along the river so yeah. when you have someone from the river floating community that makes money renting out things like kayaks and they show up saying holy crap if we don't clean up this you know hundreds of pounds of trash which included glass tubes yeah not good hundreds for and hundreds of glass tubes that would have been in the river when, yeah. I, when I went and saw the high water where that oh, spot yeah. was, oh, yeah. it was, it was both encouraging because it was not there, but also dumbfounding that it took my financial investments, which, um, because of all the kick-ass support I've been getting, you know, that, that initial investment of $1,200 from the Travis impact fund, it's been covered. I wish I could get it That's charitably great. written off, but Republic I think you'd have to do that before you get the dumpster placed. Oh, did you hear back on that? I haven't yet. Um, I still, I, I actually have the, the, the link that I can't quite read to see the, the weight. I want to see how much weight those two loads actually was. Yeah. I, I need to get a final poundage number. Quite a lot. So I'm going to get that number. That's one of my to-do things for next week, actually. Um, but it's going to be interesting. As Monday comes, we are going to get a chance to see once again – a conversation happening among city council along this specific ordinance language. And so did we want to, before wrapping up, talk about the the ordinance that we will have some chance to hear about on Monday? Sure. Kevin Hunt's ordinance alternative. You you took a brief look at that. I did take a look at that. I was wondering if you had the plain language of the actual ordinance that's been, that has been, I believe approved by, the committee of the whole that um, will be presented take to council to see what I can on find. Monday, June fifth. Wouldn't that be just one of the PDFs that was available on the agenda? I would think so. I thought I pulled it up, but just a second. Let me see if I can find well, it. I'll take a look. I know that like I had confusion over what Daniel Carlino was offering as an amendment. Um, and then Kevin Davis also had some comments about a different part of the ordinance. I was all kinds of confused, really, when it came to what... Wait, with the regards to overnight camping? Is that what you with, meant? With this ordinance, yeah. So So I'm li- I'm looking to click to read the ordinance here. The if Emergency Ordinance Amending M- Ooh, Missoula Municipal Code Chapter 12.40 regarding overnight camping in city public spaces. So on the agenda, what it said is, is this. The recommended motion is to adopt an, an emergency ordinance of the Missoula City Council 
uh, amending chapter 12.40 sections, blah, 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 to come into compliance with the Ninth Circuit decision in Martin versus City of Boise by clarifying that not all city lands are closed to overnight camping or sleeping and declaring an emergency to protect public health, safety, and welfare. And I believe that lasts for 90 days. Right. So effectively, the summertime. So I thought, because one of the things that Daniel Carlino tweeted out is, you know, well, we discriminalized, you know, homelessness or, or something kind of like a blanket statement. This makes it look like they are allowing overnight sleeping in, in certain parks. Right. In, so they, they don't get sued in the way that Martin versus City of Boise went down. Correct. That's my understanding. But they are also adding then the ability or enhancing the ability to protect public health, safety, and welfare? Like, weren't they already able to do that? What's the second part? Um, let's see. Set a public hearing on June 26, 2023, and preliminarily adopt an emergency ordinance <coughs> Excuse me, of the Missoula City Council amending Chapter 12-4 um, to come into compliance with the Ninth Circuit decision. It's the same, the same language. Right. By clarifying that not all city lands are closed to overnight camping. Hmm. Is there more in the PDF? I, I think I would open it just in case. And this is why it's been kind of hard to understand what exactly this emergency ordinance is allowing that wasn't allowed previously. I mean, like we're just reading, you know, obviously constitutional protections on the environment. Yeah. Um, so read this whole thing, the background and alternatives explored. Okay. With the recent decision by the Ninth Circuit Court, the imminent loss of ARPA funding, the failure of the November 2022 crisis levy, oh, this is the wham, wham, wham part, okay? Wah, wah, wah. And thus, the city's inability to sufficiently meet the demands of the unsheltered, plus the onset of summer, we are faced with balancing the many needs of our community. Summer brings thousands of children and guests of all ages to our parks, trails, open spaces, swimming pools, and playgrounds. In order to provide safe spaces for all, we wish to prevent encampments from developing in these particular high-use areas. The emergency ordinance, as drafted, brings us into compliance with the Ninth Circuit Court, allowing us to enforce the remaining sections of MMC, like Montana, Montana Code Annotated, right? Or MMC, whatever that is. Mm, I think that's like... Mm. I want to say municipal Missoula municipal code or something. Yeah. I don't know. This ordinance amendment accomplishes two goals. It um, brings city code in compliance with Boise versus Martin. Um, the Ninth Circuit Court held the cruel and unusual punishment clause, part of the Eighth Amendment, which we were talking about, to the United States Constitution, prohibits the imposition of criminal penalties for sitting, sleeping, or lying outside on public property for homeless individuals who cannot obtain shelter. The Ninth Circuit extended this ruling in the Johnson versus Grant's pass opinion, stating that the cruel and unusual punishment clause also prohibits criminal enforcement against homeless individuals who use, quote, the most rudimentary precautions a homeless person might take against the elements, such as bedding, blankets, or sleeping bags. So not shanty towns. Right. Hmm. And then two, clarifies that the Parks and Recreation Director has the authority to regulate activities and conduct in parks pursuant to MCC, data, 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 through 12465, for such items as erecting structures or depositing, leaving, or spilling refuse or other substances other than in receptacles provided for this purpose. Emergency ordinances require a two-thirds vote of all members elected to be approved and are effective for 90 days. Financial implications mitigates risk from an ordinance not in compliance with law. 
so Donna Gawker becomes the king of all yeah. parks. Is that is that what it's saying? I think it's something like that. Sweet. Maybe not in as many words, but she, she kind of mentioned that at I'm, that I, meeting at the committee I, of the whole meeting. I guess she did, and I'm and, and as part of my Kool Aid drinking um, redemption campaign with former people I've called financial terrorists, I'm glad to be on good Gawkler terms. Well, good. Yeah, because A lot now of she's she is queen. She is queen king. Um, are there other terms I could it, use? It is sort we, we, of like a Parks and Rec episode. It, yeah, they just took major power like, play. Like, <laughs> I must now have power over all parks to say the structures shall come down and the rock wall building of Armando beneath the bridge shall be taken but apart. But is that on park land? I that, mean, I guess, see, like, whose who's jurisdiction is that? And I that guess is, that's, that is like, a good question. that's Be the real question. We might actually get into, like, DNRC if it's too close mm -hmm. to the river. Um, DNRC has potential jurisdiction. And that's where Ryan says, says something, the city city attorney. Um, he's the guy that's on the task force. And that's another thing to kind of mention before we um, look at wrapping up, is that there is a, a sort of urban camping task force. Oh, yeah. And they are, they are doing the work. But I'm going to look at, at Ryan's name here real quick. See what, because uh, I think it was Ryan Suss something, Suss Bird. So if I'm getting the ordinance correct, this means that. Sudbury, Ryan Sudbury, deputy city attorney. They're not outlying urban camping overnight in specific areas in the city. Or they're not everywhere doing a carte blanche saying that there's no overnight camping. Oh, okay. So some of the conversation on Wednesday on that Wednesday is now making more sense. This is why there were some questions about allowing certain parks to be right. sort of the go-to parks and to like probably de-emphasize what's happening in McCormick since there are so right. many actual programs for, yeah, for, summer, exactly. for uh, summer classes summer and all that. Camps and all that. So that must have been why, because they want to, okay, okay. And that's why people say, oh, you're just shifting them from one place to another. Well, yeah, technically that's true. I wonder how then the the refuse and some of this is going to be interpreted and defined because um, the perception that some people have, and that was, I might actually have to go, let's see, let me go look at this Missoulian article about the the, under the Russell Bridge, they were talking about it's not spotless, but you know we're cleaning right. it every day. Good enough. And so that was the sense of the the residents there is that they were they were attempting to to clean it. And so it's going to be interesting because if you have just different perceptions on what this actually means, um, so I'll, I'll read this article. This was from the Missoulian um, on June first, Brett and Serbin is the reporter. Uh, Clayton Shea said he used to serve lunch to 50 or 60 people at his encampment underneath the Russell Street Bridge before it was cleaned up and his residents dispersed on Thursday. Shia, who moved to Missoula, who moved to the Missoula community from Seattle in 2019, worked as a chef for 20 years. Quote, this is the best thing I can do for the community, he said. But after hundreds of complaints poured in about health and safety concerns at Shia's camp, Missoula Parks and Recreation intervened to clean up his former home. Parks and Rec director Donna Gockler said Shia's site was the most frequently referenced complaint through the Missoula Parks system. 
Shia and some of his neighbors were contacted about the issues at the site and advised to move along by Thursday, but Shia said he felt unclear about the exact timeline. <laughs> Gockler explained the city gives a minimum of two days' notice before cleaning up encampments and often allows three days to a week. There's some pictures. It's not spotless, Shia acknowledged, but he said he and the other residents there clean the camp every day. They maintain boxes to collect needles, and residents discourage unsavory behavior within their group. That uh, They did try to run out, Todd, but they were not successful. Right. And that was because of a lack of enforcement by law enforcement. Uh, Gockler, however, said her team collected more than 100 needles and three dump trucks of garbage from underneath the Russell Street Bridge Jeez. Thursday. The cleanup cost the city $2,200. Thursday also happened to be the last day Shia had a chance to appear in Missoula Municipal Court for a public nuisance citation he received on May 25th. He failed to appear Thursday since he was busy picking up his belongings. He said he felt the coincidence was, quote, setting him up for failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a conspiracy theory, dude. Um, not much patience, honestly, for this uh, whining from, from him at, at this point. They were given notice. Municipal court includes a grace period, so Shia has until June 15th before an arrest warrant could be would be issued. He also failed to appear for a previous public nuisance citation, and that grace period extends until June 10th. Gockler stressed the city only wants to move unsheltered individuals who are obstructing trails, creating environmental degradation, or causing real, not perceived, danger to other people using parks and trails. So that was another Aaron Peahan sort of talking point. And a few things, I think a few city council members also brought this up, is that just seeing this is not enough to warrant a 911 call. Right. But one of the things that they're, I think city council is really not understanding is that if you experience a, a really negative interaction once, this kind of uh, visual can create anxiety just because it creates uncertainty about who is living in this right. in this manner. If you're walking trails and you're you know you're not certain of, of who they may be, okay, yeah, technically you're not going to need to call nine one one in that situation unless you feel an imminent threat. But it's a difficult thing for city council and for our bureaucrats to to kind of explain back to a community they've spent so much time shaming for saying no to the crisis mill levy um, while weirdly working their asses off to maintain tax increment financing as their little fun tool for everything they want. So um, good luck with that, guys. Good luck with that. We're going to continue dealing with reality on the ground in Missoula. And with your help, Allie, we've understood now a better idea of the legal landscape. Hopefully. And that kicks ass. And, well, hopefully. And I, I well, yeah, could, I think definitely. I could read a lot more into this but i do have... i can say that people listening to this conversation will not come away stupider they will come away <laughs> well, smarter on what that. is going down i hope i hope so yes so my question and this is like the question that i'm as we're talking about zones and phoenix and all of that if it's not concentrated in a zone like the poop in the poop zone that is known as san francisco no okay I mean, like people in a literal, like, a like the Chaz or like whatever, yes. can it be considered a public nuisance? Because yeah. here's the thing, because it's like, can, can there be a generalized public nuisance? Because when you have a concentrated tent city, like behind the POV, sure. I was just going to mention that location because yeah. that is going to be the next uh, Front flashpoint. of the war. Yeah. I mean, because, but that's what I'm wondering, because it's like, 
I don't know the answer to that question, but to me, I would say that would be a okay, hard well, argument to make. So here, here, here's the thing. And here's another, here's another, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. People said back during the transition from the pub downtown to West Broadway, Hey, that's a busy road. Yeah. Hey, your clients are going to walk into that busy road. So <laughs> what happens when you have a tent city where people are doing drugs. Yeah. How have we not had someone getting like taken out by, by, a, I mean, I have come so close sure so have. many times, you know, driving yeah. at night, driving that stretch of almost hitting people. Thank God I don't drink alcohol anymore because if I had a little bit of alcohol in me and had a slower reaction, there's a few times I definitely would have plowed into a, a human and they wouldn't probably not have survived that interaction with my vehicle. So when you're talking about public nuisance, I mean, that's almost more of like a a risk that's beyond just a nuisance. I mean, we're talking about because when you're so again, Phoenix, a zone, there's like a zone where everybody knows where it is. Business owners are on this strip. It's a it's like a clear place where people go and do lawless things. I have another fun thing to add, but continue to talk. Yeah. And so technically, Missoula doesn't have such a zone. So is it a is there such thing as a generalized public nuisance argument to be made? I don't know. I mean, I think there would have to be enough cases. It would have to be repetitive. I could be wrong. Uh, somebody can prove me wrong. Um, but there, I'm, I'm a, curious. There, there is a fun zone. Well, it's not a fun zone. The zone that is fun for me to talk about is the county courthouse lawn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was a zone that I would take a passed out shelter resistant, chronically homeless individual. Sometimes they would be, let's say, pass out on the rocks by all the advertisement by wardens, probably because they had taken many sips of one of those fine beverages wardens likes to sell, like Steel Reserve, uh, Colt, whatever, 40, whatever. <coughs> 45. <coughs> is it? Is it Colt 45? It, it probably is. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I <coughs> got a tickle in my throat. There was a few times, <coughs> one guy, his, his street name was Bozo, okay? Bozo was passed out. Bozo actually had housing, but in order to keep the city police response from happening, we moved him to the county courthouse, and we laid him out on the grass so that Bozo could sleep off his, his drink on the grass, and that's because that is county property. That's not city property. So the city police would not have jurisdiction. That's the sheriff deputies, and the sheriff deputies gave less fucks about what was happening at the county courthouse. And now they have private security, Phoenix, to respond to those issues. I'm not saying that situation is a good one, okay? I am very specific in my pro-private security. Right now, it is the fact that there was effective patrols around the POV that may or may not have reduced calls to service. We'll have to look at the numbers later. But that is an interesting idea of different jurisdictions creating zones. I mean, you can... You can have a zone created just by a lack of enforcement. So if yeah. you have a unofficial, unspoken agreement by law enforcement to not enforce certain rules in a certain area, that becomes a no-go zone. Yeah. And it, it – <laughs> so I wonder, um, does the city – who? I mean, <laughs> one of the things that's, that's kind of puzzling me as I think about a city that's being sued, you have different departments within the city who actually – has the standing or, or who is going to be receiving this lawsuit? Because part of what I was thinking, you know, the parity issue between Missoula County and the sheriff's office 
at the county level, it seems like there's more distinction between what the sheriff is as an entity and what the county commissioners are as an entity. So municipally, if Missoula, the, the city part, is being sued because you have a area, a zone that's, that's lacking enforcement, I mean, who, who's going to be sort of... I guess it depends the basis of the suit. Right. Like, so I guess, I mean, perhaps we'll find out. What, I mean, what would the policy, it would be a municipal city policy, so it would probably be the city attorney's office would be the one handling the lawsuit. I would think so. So they would take Jim Nugent out of cryogenic freezing, and they would say, all right, Jim, you know, this is your last stand for, for the city of Missoula. Well, I mean, there's, there's some thought. He's not actually cryogenically frozen. There is some thought that... It's possible. Okay, so think of this as a PR issue. Yes. Right now. If you are an elected official who is bound by the Ninth Circuit court decision, you right. can't criminalize homelessness. That is the established law of the land as far as where we are. In some ways, it's understandable why they would feel their hands are tied. Think about it. If someone were to sue the city and say, hey, public nuisance, get off my lawn. I'm a property owner. I have rights, too. I'm a business owner. I have rights, too. Those rights are being infringed. Does that not kind of grant you the ability to say, well, I guess we'll start having to enforce it? Well, no, but, but, but here, here's while saving face. Yeah, yes, I can see that. One of the challenges is volunteer groups have been systematically um, de-emphasized as a as playing a, a potential role or having played a significant role in the reserve street area um, with Kevin Davis's group. So I don't understand why, for example, the West Broadway Island, when Earth Day, when that cleanup was happening, okay, the Clark Fort Coalition as a nonprofit behind the scenes was not supportive of the West Broadway Island getting the volunteer cleanup treatment. That cleanup happened anyways. There was a second cleanup of that area, and Parks and Rec was more supportive, actually. Um, I mean, they're not going to come out and say, go get right. that trash, guys. There's liability. Because of liability, but they were happy that the, the trash was consolidated to the trail, so it was easy for them to then load and, and take yeah. on, um, take further away to the, to the landfill. And par part of what I was trying to explain before we got to this sort of heated point uh, in my conversation with Donna and, and having some other conversations with Parks and Rec is that that was a successful cleanup, the West Broadway Island one, the volunteer-led cleanup, because of a, a few different factors. You had motivated individuals that were getting together that didn't have the liability issues the city would, and they didn't have um, the payroll issues and all that. And then um, I was able to be out there having conversations with with some of the people living out there. And um, so, you know, trash bags were handed out to, to people in camp saying, hey, we're just going to be looking at trash in the area, not active sites. You know, so they were they were they felt better. We were explaining, hey, this can lower the attention. If we're helping pick up the trash, there will be less attention. That yeah. doesn't guarantee that they're not going to be relocated. Yeah. But that can be part of the, the conversation if you're having constructive, volunteer-led, collaborative cleanups is that you can get out there and say, okay, we know that you might be limited in what you can do with nice trash bags that are actually sturdy and then you know taking it away. 
yeah, you might be a little bit too high on drugs right now. And maybe it's too hard to get your pants up. Like the one guy mm -hmm. that he was too high on drugs and he couldn't really get his pants up. He won't be a part of the cleanup. Okay. Sometimes people living out there will help and you can do these cleanups in a collaborative way. So there are, there are alternatives. Why that hasn't been more supported is confounding to me. I know I am obnoxious and I will not be probably given the homeless czar position. Mm. There are other people that might do a good job doing that kind of stuff too. But I mean, there are some options, some creative things that could be done. Absolutely. That are not being done unless but they we, could be unless we do them ourselves on that note um i think we can kind of wrap it up because if people are listening to this conversation they have taken a step to educate themselves have yeah. they not i think so i i'm educated because i don't understand this legal stuff as much as you do because you geeked out you had a successful deep dive into this <laughs> and now the phoenix zone is on my radar that is one of the most interesting things yeah i I heard it mentioned, but I had no idea. So thank you. It's a thing. It could happen here. <laughs> oh, I think the rumblings are more than just rumblings. I think it's going to be interesting to see in terms of law firms. One of the things that Montana does not have when it comes to something that Arizona has is big cities with lots of lawyers. So Billings. That's quite a few attorneys. Yeah, our legal community in Montana is not comparable to what a state with more people in it, like True. Arizona. But there is money to be made for lawyers. I think that's going to be just always a baseline when it comes to where money is going, where it's coming from. A lot of it's going to go to lawyers, maybe some money from the federal government. Um, the state of Montana has rendered itself paralyzed and stupid, really <laughs> dumb. Montana, at the state level, stupid and dumb. I think that's for D's and for R's. So no one should feel good about what happened in the state level. That's it, redeemable. You even eventually. went you you went to some some like hey we're gonna have legislators talking about what happened and yeah. it was like not much of a an analysis of the action. Granted, I couldn't stay for all that long, but I stayed long enough, and I actually didn't hear anything. Hmm. I heard some interesting things. Had nothing to do with the legislature though. Yeah, well, there's a, a definite vacuum when it comes to local media. And so, Allie, thank you for helping me fill the vacuum. Thank you. I think I think this was a very educational episode. So Yeah, I sure hope so. Uh, whatever it takes to continue getting things out to the public, however things may grow or change or evolve, I'm going to keep an open mind, and I'm excited to continue figuring things out because this stuff is complicated. And I can't do it on my own. So thank you, Allie. Thank you. Okay. That's it. Tune in next week if there is something to listen to. Maybe just a song or two. But coming up is a song. <laughs> this is me. I'm not necessarily proud. But it's something to go out on. Adios. How did you get here? To Zoom Town. Seattle maybe got a bus ticket like Rod Rinkus back in the day when he went to the old Barbarello. Oh yeah, he was quite a fellow. He had a nice old grocery cart and he walked around but he didn't start 
any fires that I know about. Well, if you come from Salmon, Idaho, like Harley did many years ago, you can find a home on sidewalks. You can be called names like Pops, yeah. Old Santa with his big old beard, and you can die in front of the doors that the county commissioners they walk through to do their jobs, their important jobs. Like, well, we gotta have another lawsuit. Why? Because of parity pay. I don't really understand it. It doesn't help to read the Missoulian. Hey, did you know about John Talbot? He used to work for the alphabet. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. What's a son to do? Put his hopes, put his hopes and dreams on democracy. I'll go to the university. They like to build new buildings. Oh man, in the parking it sucks, but they never really quite fix it. Yeah, they sell too many spaces. As they know the young people, well, they're gonna give up eventually. Do you like your new museum, kids? Oh, but we're gonna ban the TikTok. Mom and dad, they're really pissed off. Daddy's going other places. Mom's having to look at all the faces. Is he gonna groom my kids? I don't know, you can't even say that out loud anymore. You can't go to the, to the Target store. I just wanna play the ukulele. Why won't somebody pay me? Consistently to just play the ukulele Maybe I should sit on the sidewalk With my little ukulele And I hope the people will pay me And feed me And give me The keys to a condo someday A smart condo It'll take my DNA as payment Yeah, cause all I have to do is put my dick in this little tube. It says for the aliens, keep them happy. One day they'll have real bodies instead of that, those fake things. It's not just a screen memory. All the days and years I spent here. Long ago it was a lake, but the glaciers broke and the water flowed out. Oh my God, just like the words do. My mouth, they get me in doo-doo. Deep a doo-doo, deep a doo-doo, deep a doo-doo. That's like poop. That you walk in, that you step in. It could be human poop. It could be dog poop. You just don't know here in Zoom Town. We're like San Francisco that way. But we haven't hired anyone specifically for the poop. That could be me. I could aspire to that job one day. I could follow an app. A grid to show me where the poop are. 
Show me where the poops are. Technology, that's how great you are. You can show me where the poops are. Technology, show me where and I'll go clean it up. This is a very difficult job. I don't know if the robots can do it the way I could pick up the poop. Oh, oh yeah. That's why I went to the university, you know, to get my poetry degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to entertain you. Poets, they're not around to make you think harder about things. It's a cloud. It's just a cloud, okay? It's just the sun and the moon. I don't really understand it. Sometimes it makes me horny. The full moon's crazy. This I know it's true. I used to work at the shelter, and the ER people told me that it really is something like a phenomena, like Mercury retrograde. Oh, but we don't know what the stars are. I think I've covered that material. I think it's time to wrap up this song now. It's time to wrap this song up now. It's time to wrap it up. It's the end of May. June's coming, June is almost here. Rent is due, that happens every month now. I'm pretty serious about it. So good night, and I wish you a good morning when you wake up. Oh.